lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human Project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Jamari, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover how to love a human. Hey, everyone. Today on How to Love a Human, I am with Jamari. Hey, Jamari. Hey. Also, I'm going to start with my non-researchy question first, all right? All right. Are you feeling human or human as fuck half? I am feeling human as fuck. Okay. Break that down. <laughs> Break it down. Yeah, what it means. Um, I, I think for me, um, human as fuck is like, um, so there's like these parts of us that are human and parts of us that are divine. Mm. And um, when I'm feeling human AF, like, I just feel like all of my complex- complexities and imperfections and questions mm. and insecurities are just kind of all up all up in the on the surface yes yeah okay so you said something that just immediately stood out to me Mm -hmm. you said there are parts of us that are human there are parts of us that are divine Mm -hmm. what do you mean by divinity i mean like um there's right like i believe there's this energy larger energy force that's you know a part of everything mm-hmm. and everyone um and that ultimately um is good so when i think of the divine i think of um our best selves mm-hmm. our full potential um you know which includes our humanity mm-hmm. right um but i think that we um go through days or experiences in life or periods in life where we are just struggling um to live in the divine being that we are mm-hmm. um and so for me that's what human af it's like you have divine potential you are oh, yeah. part of the divine divine it's still all experience yeah. but you know, <laughs> missing the market yeah, yeah. Gotcha. try again tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> i just gotta give it up for the day yeah like, you know, nothing wrong with that no not at all <laughs> so. so speaking of human share your most salient identities with me the parts of you that are human yeah, um, so um, I identify as black, mm-hmm. blackity black, real right. black. <laughs> um, I identify as um, trans, uh, as queer, um, as a husband. Um, I identify as a uh, artist, a poet. Oh, okay. So it's a newer okay. identity. Um, able-bodied. Um, at least for now, um, Christian. So, black, blackity black, mm-hmm. black y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Trans, queer, able-bodied husband, poet, Christian. What makes those identities stand out as opposed to some of the others? Well, um, I think... So much of it is just sort of what's happening, right? So I just got off the phone with my wife. So mm-hmm. that's real at the forefront yeah, <laughs> of yeah. my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, like, I think about things that, um, you know, I think about being black, trans, queer. I mean, I guess technically me being uh, trans or queer could shift or change, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
those things that are just kind of, they are, you know, it's what is. Yeah. Um, and um, I think about how I navigate the world, right? Okay. So as an able-bodied person, like, um, I don't often have to think about, you know, how I move within spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't often have to think about, you know, um, going to a movie theater and dealing with sound mm. or, um, you know, people understanding my thought process or my cognitive processes, or I don't have to think about walking into a classroom and, um, you know, struggling with um, understanding or being able to access the material. So, yeah. So thinking about that privilege of being able in a number of ways, being able to walk, mm-hmm. being able to think in neurotypical ways, being mm-hmm. all of those things are salient to you. Yeah. I wonder how it connects to your role. Like, I think of you as an educator mm-hmm. and a person that is informing us about, like, hey, this is what social justice means should be. This mm-hmm. is the action that you need to be taking. How does that stand out for you in those spaces in particular when you're teaching folks, when you're educating folks, helping people come to, I guess, a next level of awareness about social justice and then ability surrounds that. Because I don't get people talking about ability a lot, so I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, ability is one of those things where um, I think there are certain issues that a lot of issues are invisible, but Mm -hmm. I would say that ability is one of those ones that still remains uh, very invisible or it's hard for people to to grasp onto. Um, You know, and I think that oftentimes... Um, it's just something that people take for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that particularly as an educator, right, like I don't, um, I can take it for granted, but to me it means that I have the potential of um, not not allowing somebody to be a part of the room and a part of the Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm always thinking about, like, how do I make sure that people have a way to access what's happening in this room right Mm -hmm. now? Um, and it might not be every single moment all the time, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different things going on, um, you know, in some things, right? When I'm sitting in a, in a classroom or in a training, right, there are some things that go way over my head or some things I just couldn't grasp and I wish we had more time, but we didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, and then other things I get right away. And so I just try to think about different points of entry for people. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we think about ability in terms of how do we create different points of entry, right? Um, so that people have options, yeah. people have choice, people have agency, um, instead of just doing things one way. Um, and so that's what I try to get think, get people to think about, right? Like there's no way um, um, to think about or uh, try to create a world um, that is unique for every single person mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like we all live in this world together right we don't get our own planets despite how some of us might want <laughs> um, um but we can right like we do. <laughs> um but we can think about right how do we um create different points of entry and then um when we fall short how do we respond to that because yeah. um, you know i tell folks all the time like you might not get it right quote unquote um, the first time, the second time, or the third time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may, it matters to people, like, what the response is, though, when right. they when they tell you, like, you didn't get it right. Like, that really does matter. How do you um, receive that correction? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I always try to make myself, in any training I do, 
Um, I try to present myself as open to that yeah. because I know that it's not going to be perfect because I'm not a perfect person. Right. Um, I know there are things I didn't consider. I know there are things I don't even know that I need to consider. Yeah. Um, so making, presenting yourself as somebody who's humble um, and, can, and can be compassionate is, is something I try to do and try to encourage other people to do. I think humility is so core. Yeah. And I was reading this study, I don't know, maybe a couple of days ago, and it was talking about the more power you have, the less empathy and humility you mm. express or mm. even are capable of having until somebody reminds you of a point at which you might have been less empowered. Mm. Like just the more you acquire or the more you were born with, the tougher it is to be humble and the tougher it is to empathize from a humble place. And I was like, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think... You know, and I think that um, the thing about power, right, is like when you have power, like you don't have to have empathy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be humble. There you go. Right? I yeah. mean, you can do what you want, navigate how you want, take what you want, have what you want. And the world will wield itself around you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like, what, what use do I have for empathy, right? Um, and that, right, say that in an extreme way, but like... That can look like, um, you know, even, right, a, a supervisor-supervisee, right, relationship, mm -hmm. right, where we might not necessarily think about it on these larger levels. But how does a supervisor have power and, not, and able to navigate that relationship and not have to present with as much empathy and humility in that right. relationship because of the power dynamic? Mm -hmm. And for a learned position like that, well, like an acquired position of power like that, I wonder at what point does it go out the door? Because at what mm. at some point you had to have humility to get there, I'm assuming. I don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? And so it just made me curious about that. And, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So you talked about other identities. Um, talked about being Christian. You talked mm -hmm. about being queer, trans, husband. Like, what do those mean to you to just mm -hmm. be you, to be who you are? If any of them stand out, like, yeah. This is the one that's really on my mind right now. I think you said husband was on your mind because you talked to your wife mm -hmm. a, few, a minute ago. Mm -hmm. I think that um, for me, like, it's really a way to, um, like, these words and these labels are really just a way to kind of communicate to the world and mm -hmm. communicate amongst each other, right? Like, they in of themselves don't even really describe me okay. right like you know like i'm a husband but when i say that to somebody they might have a, a very different meaning of what a right. husband means exactly but you know they get the basic understanding right um is that i'm committed to somebody um or somebody's and so um to me they're just like oh these are the ways that i communicate to people what some of my lived experience looks like okay but if someone were to like read it right if i wrote them all down on paper and handed it to somebody and they read all of them right it wouldn't be efficient for me feeling like you know. they they knew me right mm -hmm. it wouldn't them knowing those things doesn't mean i'm gonna feel seen by that person mm. so i think that you know they're they're important they communicate something um to us all, um, but we can't kid ourselves in thinking that knowing these things about people, knowing these identities or our labels means that we know people in their experience. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why for me it's so important to be like, well, what does it mean to you? Right. Because 
husband can mean something different to anybody who occupies that identity. Absolutely, <laughs> it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. Sometimes it means something different to the uh-huh, person you're with. Uh-huh. So. so it's short form for some something. Right, but man, right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. What about identities you didn't mention, like social class mm-hmm. or things like that? Yeah. So um, that one is interesting. So I, I grew up, you know, poor um and but now would be i guess considered middle class um and that's an interesting transition that uh me and my wife have talked about a lot because we both grew up poor. Mm-hmm. um and I feel you on that. <laughs> you know, are sort of for both of us right in terms of our families um um right it's almost a, a generational transition right um because mm-hmm. we think about the fact that you know, because now we're at a certain income level or socioeconomic status, that means, right, the likelihood that our children will be at a certain level and then their children and their children, right, um, when for so long, right, poverty has been a part of um, our family's experience, right? And what does that mean? What does it mean? I've been grappling with that same thing, like talking to my husband, like, babe, do you know our kids are going to grow up? Yeah. Never knowing the type of lack we knew. Like, it's not even going to be a consideration for them. Right. And what does that mean? How are they going to turn out as people? Like, I'm confused. I don't know. So I'm like, if you got the answer, let me know. I don't. But, well, so one thing I, I, you know, I say I've always felt is that, you know, even though, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money by any means. Like, I never felt like I lacked anything mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the values that I was raised mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I didn't grow up wanting uh, certain types of material things. Um, so because I didn't want them, the fact that my mom couldn't afford them didn't mean anything gotcha. to me. Yeah. Um so there was that, you know, and, um, you know, I was privileged enough to have um, my basic needs met mm-hmm. and not have to work. Although now I know that, you know, there were different concerns there. Yes. But I wasn't aware, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so as far as I knew, I had shelter, I had food, right? I had clothing, um, all these things. I didn't have those types of concerns, um, which is... Um, you know, in and of itself, a different experience of poverty. But, um, you know, if you think about sort of federal regulations, right, been considered that. Um, So, you know, I I don't know what it means that our children will never, well, likely, I shouldn't say never, um, because, you know, your socioeconomic status can change Mm -hmm. very quickly. um, And we take that for granted. Um, but um, we'll likely not experience um, the, those same kind of things. But I hope that I can continue the same values. Right. Right. What I hope doesn't happen is that they do then desire those material things that I didn't, um, you know, and my family couldn't afford. And now I can. Um, th- that's that's what I hope. <laughs> and they come to expect them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um so we'll see. I don't mm-hmm. have I don't have all the answers. If somebody wants to write a book, please <laughs> about I that about it. transitioning um, class and what that means. Yeah, and then things. all the family dynamics and all of that stuff. I mean, it's 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 different, especially for uh, I think people of color. 
break down some of the family dynamics of that because I feel like I might understand where you're coming from, but maybe some people listening don't know what that would look like. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, um, right, like for us, I'm I'm the youngest mm -hmm. and my wife is the youngest. Of how many? Um, I'm the youngest of three okay. and my wife, um, she grew up with one of her sisters, but she also has siblings okay. that she did not grow up with um, in the same household. So um, I think that one, there's feelings of, right, like, you sort of transition in, in this space where, like, you know, my family doesn't really understand what I do. <laughs> um, um, my wife's family doesn't really understand what she does. Um, when I was in school, you know, not really feeling like I could talk to my family about yeah. what I was learning, what I was engaging in. Um you know, in attempts to do so, um, honestly, sometimes elicited um, judgment mm -hmm. is what it felt like. Mm -hmm. um, where it was like strange because I think my family uh, was proud of the fact um, that I was in school, that I was being quote unquote successful. Um, but then uh, there was a certain uncomfortability with like my... Uh, upward mobility in this society in that way mm -hmm. um, and so and what is that you know how does that impact dynamics you know how does that impact um, you know their expectations of me yeah. in supporting family needs and uh, things that are necessary um, you know I think it's, it's all difficult to navigate mm -hmm. um, and are sensitive topics and there's not a book folks. on it so and, there's, and, and there might be i don't know but and everybody's family is different so my wife's family um my wife's family is very very enmeshed my family's very distant mm -hmm. um neither of those things means anything necessarily in terms of like the quality of our relationships right. um but they're just different ways that we've learned to build relationships and navigate relationships so um you know what she might do with her family might not work with mine. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, and I think it's hard, too, because, like, um, while I'm glad I got the education that I did because I learned so much that I don't think I ever would have learned right. um, or would have learned at the time that I did, um, you know, I don't see that as, you know, I don't see myself being more valuable because I have a college right. degree. Mm -hmm. um, my mom doesn't have a college degree. So, you know, I certainly don't see her as less valuable. My brother doesn't have a college degree and he's one of the smartest people I know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so, but they might not really know that. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they might not really understand that. Like, I don't, I don't see myself as more important than them because I have a college degree or because my income bracket is one thing or because I own a house or anything like that. Right. Yeah. One of my, um, one of the people who was on early on named Mel, she was talking about that. She's talking about it from the space of a white woman who grew up poor. Mm -hmm. And she was like, there was a point at which I realized that what I wanted for myself felt threatening to my family because mm. they meant for them, it meant, what they provided for me was not enough. Mm. She was like, and it never meant that to me, but right. for, you know, no, she was like, but man. it 
that is the way it was interpreted. Wow. So if I spoke a certain way or if I wanted to wear certain things or if I wanted to go certain places or learn certain things, it meant, didn't we give you enough? And she was mm. like, and I am still trying to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, who I am is is totally the result of my thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's nothing, there's no quote-unquote success that I can lay claim to that isn't theirs. Um, and that's really important to me like I would not be who I am if not for my mother yeah period um if not for my grandmother who came before her right like um but there's something about like material gain right money degrees homes houses or whatever um in this society that threatened right that that legacy that Mm -hmm. energy um um those values and the fact that I've carried all of that with me, right, it's hard to see it, right, behind these symbols, these mm-hmm. material symbols mm-hmm. of where I am. Um, you know, otherwise I think people, you know, my family could look at me and just see, like, wow, like, this is our continued legacy right. in this person. And not in these material things, but just who I am as mm-hmm. a person. What they invested in you and yeah. love and care and yeah, values and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like in my family system, it was always like, you're going to be the one. So, mm, yeah, you know, we got we got your back, whatever you need, whatever <laughs> we can provide of what you need to our, yeah. to our greatest extent. And if we can't, we can't. But mm. it was always like, you're going to be the one. So for me, anything I do is always a result of that investment. For me, it was like people went above and beyond in ways that probably broke them, you know, like, yeah, at least financially. Absolutely. And it was like, I can't ever forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like my grandmother has my Spelman degree on her, (laughs) on her mental. She was like, I got this. Thank you. Anything you need. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be the first one. But all of that for me meant we did it, you know, Mm -hmm. We, we all won. And I think sometimes families miss that it's still a we, Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it can happen. Yeah. So I'm switching gears a little bit. Yeah, we're talking about family, but even in the context of a broader sense, what does love mean to you? Mm. Everybody um, makes that pause when I ask <laughs> <question>, like, <laughs> well, because it's like it's one of those words that, like, uh, you know, it's not tan- not tangible. I mean, it is tangible, but it's not right. It's not like you know, what does a book mean to mm-hmm. you? Like you pick it up and, you know, um, you know, you can't visualize it sometimes in order to give it a name or give it words. But um, love means to me, um, first and foremost, love is an action to me. Action. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not, um, you know, warm fuzzies i like you you like me i mean that's cute Mm -hmm. right (laughs) right there's a place for that absolutely um there's a place for that kind of connection but love to me is an action right it's what you it's what you do Mm, um or don't do for Mm -hmm. that matter um you know i think that and it's what you do on a on a on a larger scale as well so a lot of folks you know talk about love in social justice work and and what does that look like and I and I think there's this piece of um, you know compassion and all those things mm-hmm. that are important but I think there's this other piece of like loving people means that like 
you're going to work towards a world where people have what they need. Yeah. And they don't have to change for that to happen. Mm. They don't have to do anything for you um, because you love them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me is, is love. It's like, how do we create this world where people have what they need mm-hmm. um, and don't have to sometimes um, literally harm themselves um, or lose themselves um, or, or, or do things that um, for them um, feel like uh, an attack on their dignity as yeah. a person yeah. um, in order to get what they need. Um, and that's not just material needs, although those are important. People need food and mm-hmm. water and shelter and safety, um, but also, you know, belonging yep. um, and self-esteem. Um, those are all those things. And, and what is, you know, so it's the bigger picture, but then, it's, you know, interpersonal relationships, I think it's the same thing, right? In, in my marriage, um, to me, loving my wife is is making sure that I act in ways that enables her to get what she needs. And yeah. sometimes that means me actually being a part of providing that need. And yeah. sometimes that means me getting the fuck out the way. So it can be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, sometimes that means, you know, for me, right, sometimes that means her going into a different space mm-hmm. in the house mm-hmm. so I can have a moment. Yeah. Um, That's the most loving thing that could happen in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's love to me. So the action is where the love is. You see the verb of it. Mm-hmm. 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 Not the noun. Like, mm-hmm. this is cool. Yeah. But what yeah. are you going to do? Right. How are you going to contribute to people living fully, living well? Right. And I really love the part about self-esteem because I hadn't thought of it in that way. But for me, it brings out this... I always say people want to be loved and belong, but belonging has a sense of like, I'm valuable in this space or I'm Mm -hmm. worth something and esteem for me connects to that. Like, does a space remind you of your value and worth? Mm -hmm. Does it affirm and encourage you to be aware of it? Yeah. You know, and that, that just, that was really beautiful to me. Yeah. Just thinking about that. So what would the world be like if it loved you? Hmm. Of all of your identities, um, all of the pieces of your divinity and your humanity. It it would look like, um, well, one, I think it would look like what it would look like if it loved anybody. Okay, say this more. World, this world doesn't love anybody. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's what people are missing. Okay. Like, they don't understand, like, you know, nobody is walking through this unharmed like some people think they are that's delusion who thinks they are well i think a lot of people with privilege Mm -hmm. right some folks might call them the one percent yeah right like people who have uh material privilege or racial privilege or um gender privilege right um at least for a time being or in when talking about that particular topic might think that um, they are walking around unharmed, but even that, right? Like you can't even isolate that, right? Yeah. Um, and so there, we live in an oppressive society, um, and and personally, I think everybody's soul is being impacted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whether 
you're experiencing privileges and you have everything you need or you don't. Like, um, Do you think there are distinctions in how the soul is impacted based on how many privileged or marginalized identities one might have? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then I think sometimes, right, um, sometimes I think it's a matter of, right, like, the creation of those who are colonized and the creation of the colonizer, right? Mm. Like, all of us are being created and constructed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And to me, that's the impact on the soul. Okay. Right? Um whether we're privileged or we're marginalized, all of us are being created or constructed. In that, the dynamic of having colonization, mm -hmm. both sides are being created into something. Is that what I'm going yeah. to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That for me, yeah. right, because of uh, my worldview, right, and my beliefs, right, I, I, I don't think are natural mm -hmm. uh, to who we are as people, right? I think that it's just so common that it feels natural, Right. And Familiar versus natural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we, you know, people say like, well, how else is the world supposed to exist? Or of course we do this. Right. People naturally divide each other. Right. I think that's how we get folks who say things like that as a reason as to why things can't be any different. Mm. Um, you know, but the reality is that um, when we look at our society, right, there are communities here in America where people are, um, where harm is rare, where people have shelter, where people have the resources they need, where people feel loved and connected, right? There are pockets everywhere, right? And they're not perfect, right? Because right? we, we're not looking for perfection, right? Um, but there are pockets everywhere, right? Which means that it's possible, right? Like some people, when you talk about utopia, people are like, oh, that's not possible. And I'm like, you walk a couple blocks and that's utopia mm -hmm. for a lot of people, mm -hmm. right? Like, yep. you know, and so why is it that this can exist here and can't exist in other places or can't exist everywhere, right? That's not natural. That's created, right, in our worlds, right? The fact that there are these pockets where some people are able to have access to the things that they need and other people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not a natural division that has just come out of us being human beings. That's what we've created. Um, and so I think that's what we have to unpack and subvert. When you talk about it being co-created, in what way do people who have been colonized participate in that creation? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, um, right, like, so there's this piece of, right, how things become naturalized. Mm -hmm. Right. To where we look at our society and we think that nothing else, n nothing can exist in a different kind of way. Right. And all of us are impacted by that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Even the conversation we have we're having now. Right. Is impacted by that where we take for granted things that were actually, um, you know, if you look into history, were actually things that maybe didn't exist before mm -hmm. until they were introduced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 100 years later, now everybody thinks that's how it's always been. Right. Um you know, I was uh, reading an article, because um, I'm actually in school right now, and I was reading an article for school that was talking about, uh, was written by a, a Native person, and um, they said, you know, God made us and God placed us here, mm -hmm. right, and talking to a uh, settler colonialist. Like, in our minds, in Americans' minds and settlers' minds, right, um, 
they were supposed to be in America, mm, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well, you're saying you're saying that you're the chosen people, right? That God wanted you to come over here and quote unquote civilize this land, but God made us and placed us here. Right. So what are you saying, right? Like, you there's know? a lot of playing God. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know. And so I think there's this piece of like, you know, all of us come to believe or internalize um, you know, all that has constructed the society that we live in. Yeah. Um, and so in that, we play out um, all of those beliefs, those values, those actions. Um, and, and it's constant struggle to try to kind of navigate that and, and, and resist, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is really really the the first step is, is how, to, how do you just engage in resistance yeah. um, to that. So, and I was reading. I spent my last part of the summer reading, like, fictitious slave narratives of women who had been um, raped and enslaved mm-hmm. and taken as like a, a mistress by the white slave masters, and their responses to that, like, in the different ways that they might respond. Mm. And for me, what connected to what you just said is there were some who were like, I'd rather die. I'd rather kill my children and I'd rather die Mm -hmm. than for this to continue and me not be free in the way I want to be free. Mm -hmm. And there were some who were like, I'm going to participate in a way that keeps me ostensibly as safe as possible Mm. and afford my children some more privileges than they might get if they were working in the fields. And there were people that were in the middle range of that, wherever, you know, the middle ranges of that. And I think about the ways I might actively participate in colonization now mm-hmm. in my privileged and marginalized identities and the ways that I might resist in both my privileged and marginalized identities. And how do you, how do you, how do you exist in resistance and active participation? Because I think we're all trying to balance that at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, Part of that answering that question also has to go with sort of like how do folks think about how did we get here, mm-hmm. what needs to be changed, how does that change happen, right? Like people have different answers to those questions, yeah. and we don't often talk about the fact mm-hmm. that we have different answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. And so then those of us who think that we're on quote unquote the same sides have very different ideologies. Yeah. Um, and so, which means then how we act, right, um, in order to bring about that change is going to be different, um, or we expect that it'll be different. You know, I think that a lot of people um, feel like this place just needs to crash and burn. And I see a lot of validity in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at um, sort of the history of this country, it's like, okay, show me where this has been different. Mm. Like, show me, like, you keep saying, no, let's be hopeful, it's gotten better. Like, show me really where this has been truly different. Like, um, historically, like, a prolonged difference. I don't mean a moment. I don't mean a election, a president. I mean, show me where people, particularly black people, um, because those are people that I'm very concerned about yeah. as a black person. 
um, where black people have not um, bared in their flesh mm. oppression. Yeah. Like, show me where that is, and then maybe I'll have some hope yeah. that something can change. Otherwise, like, either all of y'all need to step down, or this place needs to crash and burn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need to start over. From the ground up. From the ground up. Yeah. And I think the reality is a lot of people carry that in themselves and carry that reality and um, they get labeled as pessimistic um, or not hopeful. They're not hopeful enough. Um, and sometimes their resistance is um, a, a, a lack of fear in terms of death. Yeah. Um, and particularly, I think those people are courageous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're honest. Yep. Um, I've always said and prayed to the Lord to bring me to a place where I am no longer fearful to die. Mm-hmm. Because I truly do want to not bear fear to die for my people. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do think that some of us have to die. Yeah. I mean, not even a thing. There is evidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of us like, have to die. And we have been. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and how can that... I think a lot of people have to die, mm-hmm. right? This is the crash and burn part, right? Um, and are, right? Because I think when when you say that, like I said, people see it as pessimistic. But it's like people are dying right now. Absolutely. People are dying right now Every because day. we won't change. So if people are have to die... Like, let's die so that we can have something different. Let's die for a revolution. If you're going to die anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of people feel. And that's how a lot of people navigate their life. Like, I'm going to die in my resistance. Because I'm going to die anyway. Yep. And a lot of folks don't like to hear that. White folks don't like to hear that. <laughs> what do you think makes that so difficult for people to hear it? For white people to hear it? For anybody who was like... Look the way that sounds. Yeah, because even mm-hmm. there are a lot of black folks who oh, yeah. are probably listening right now. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> um, but I, I think, one, I think there's um, there's a way in which that we've been um, taught to believe or think about death, mm-hmm. right? Um, depending on your spiritual background, your religious background, right? Like, we we have a fear of death, yeah. right? Yeah. That's very salient. Um, and a part of it is this, right, question of, like, well, what happens next? And what does that mean? And what's being left behind? And, and all of these things. Um, but if we can conceptualize ourselves as, like, energy, right? Mm-hmm. Energy um, is not destroyed. It's just transformed, right? Um, and so I think that if we can think about it that way, right, it's like, well, how can I, um, how can my physical death be, uh, an opportunity for, for rebirth to occur in the world? Yeah. Right. Like how can a release from this, this, this human body be an opportunity for people's divine energy to be released into the world and mm. to be reborn and to start anew, right? Um, 
you know, for some people, right, that narrative sounds very familiar. Yeah, it right? does. Across Absolutely. a lot of different yeah. religions. So, like, on one level, we we know that narrative, and many of us, we've built entire organized religions about it. But, like, when it comes to, like, what does that really mean for us, though? For me as a human like, being, what does as that a person mean for in me this as a person, mm-hmm. right? Um, do I really believe that? Right? Because if we really believe that, um, we should not be fearful of that. I think right? a lot of people believe it for other people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they believe yeah. it for Jesus or they believe it for any other prophet. Like, they believe it for somebody that they perceive as more divine than themselves. They mm. don't believe it for... They their... see, them, see them as more divine than themselves. Mm-hmm. And they don't mm. believe it for themselves. And they especially don't believe it for their children mm. or people under their care. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then so, as a person who doesn't have kids yet, I don't know what that feels like just yet to mm-hmm. feel that. Because I, I say often, like... There are certain things that I'm willing to die for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not willing to kill for anything. I'm not at that place. But I'm willing to die for some things. Mm-hmm. And people are like, but you know, you you say that because you don't have this, this, and this, and that. And I'm like, I can't speak to that until I have it. But yeah. in this moment, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that connect, though, to, so, to what this world would look like if it loved you? Would people burn it on down to the ground and start anew from the ground up? Would it be something else within this current system? Like, yeah, they burn it all down. Yeah, they burn it all down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that um, if people really loved uh, someone like me, um, they would either burn it all down, mm-hmm. give them another out, <laughs> um, or they would make um, tremendous sacrifice mm-hmm. um, and not just material sacrifice, but ideological sacrifice, uh, sacrifice of fear, Mm. um, sacrifice of power. Um, And, you know, for some people, it probably would be easier for them to die than to make that level of sacrifice. To have to live without, it'd be easier to just die. Yeah. What would be built up anew after the burn down? You walk out of the flames of it. What do we have to rebuild for it to be a loving world? Yeah, so one of the things that I think that we have to rebuild um, is our our understanding of our relationship to ourselves and to the earth, Mm -hmm. um, to the universe. Um, I think that we are... Right, we live in such a Eurocentric society. It's so individual. It's um, so physical and material, and everything needs to be measured and counted and divided up and owned. Mm-hmm. And everything's a commodity. Yeah. Everything, right? Our very bodies are yeah. a commodity. Our labor is a commodity. All of it. Um, and so we have to completely alter that relationship, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have to get rid of this idea that there's not enough. Mm-hmm. That scarcity mindset. <laughs> yeah. Like this idea that there's really not enough. There's more than enough. There is more than enough. Especially when we don't exploit the earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you can't exploit the earth and then be concerned about there not being enough. Well, 
that's what happens when yeah. you exploit and abuse things, right? That you create, right? We construct that scarcity. You it's not real. Scarcity. We mm -hmm. construct it, right? Um, but even with all that we've done to this planet and uh, to its people, like there's still more than enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to sort of reconstruct people's minds, people's heart, people's worldview. Um, so that there's an understanding that, um, you know, we're all connected, right? Our energy is one. Our energy is one with the earth, with this planet, with the universe. Um, and that we don't own anything. Yeah. We don't own anything. And we're uh, interdependent. Mm -hmm. We're so dependent on each other. The same way the planet, right? The the sun, the moon, the grass, the all birds. All work in the same cycles, like all from bodies to atoms to universe. And it's yeah. like, why don't we Everything see Everything is so interdependent, inter, um, interdependent. And yet humans get on the scene and we think we can do all this on our lonesome. Because we're terrified of relying on each other. Yeah. Because we haven't shown each other that we can rely on each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Um, out of the flames would come, you know, a, a new worldview, a new way of um, conceptualizing the world. And some of that comes from, um, you know, cultures and ideologies and conceptions of the world that already exist and have existed yeah. and continue to exist despite um, attempts to um, annihilate, annihilate them. them. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and some of that, so some of that is informed by that. But I also think, right, we can't romanticize, um, we can't romanticize the past or romanticize other cultures. So I think that there's a lot that to be learned and um, there will be something to be learned from um, the flames mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And moving forward in, in terms of what we create will be informed by all of those things. Um, you know, I hope that we can create a world where people, uh, voices and imaginations can be um, uplifted. Mm -hmm. um, like, like for a lot of people, creativity and just a space to think, right, is a yes. privilege. Yes. Um, you know, what does that mean? Like, like I said, like we aren't the the spirit that is in people. Right, I think lies in those places. So, what does that mean when all of those are bound yep. um, in terms of what we create? And which is why a lot of people can't even think about what a whole different world would look like, mm -hmm. or it's just scary to even think. Well, if we we burn this down, then what? Then what? Okay, well then what? Mm -hmm. Then we got a whole blank canvas. Yeah, and that's intimidating for some people because they feel like they need to have all the answers. Mm. But it's this culture that tells us that we need to have all the answers. Absolutely, <laughs> can be known. That yeah. everything can be and known. that everything can be known. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So what? Okay, this is the switching gears. What identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love? Mm. You had like this smirk as you were saying. Mm. <laughs> I struggle to love. Um, I don't know if I'd call it. They they might call it an identity, but I I guess I struggle to love. Um, maybe folks who uh, wear like 
social justice activist, you know, sort of thing as an identity, which is weird because my title and my job <laughs> is social justice educator. So I did not choose that. Um, you didn't choose the title. I didn't choose the title, right. Um, you know, and I probably would have chose something different. Um, but I think that, you know, when I was in Chicago, I did a lot of advocacy, activism work, um, and uh, really started to feel uncomfortable about what was happening. I think there can be some level of like celebrity mm, okay. sort of culture that can get created. Um, and so I left. I went back to Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. <laughs> back to my mama's house mm -hmm. because I didn't want to become something that I wasn't or mm. that was about me versus uh, about uh, the world that we're trying to create. Yeah. Um, and I think we can... And so I struggle with folks who I perceive to be like that, who yep. kind of, you know, they want their name to be known, they want their credit, they want to be at the forefront, um, you know, and it, it, and it makes people kind of question, like, okay, well, what are you really doing this for? Okay. Um, because it seems like you always need to have the mic. And what's that about? Mm -hmm. um, so I think I struggle with those, those folks. I mean, I think I struggle with... Um, you know, folks who have identities that are just different from mine. So I struggle with white people. Um, I struggle with cis people. Um, you know, I think we struggle, but I also struggle with people who have very similar identities to mine, but have very different, um, experiences. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I struggle with a lot of things. Um, you know, and I try not to, uh, I try to love people anyway. And for yeah. me, that's why it's not about the emotion because, um, you know, it's easy to talk about liking somebody or, you know, wanting good things for them. But for me, it's like, you know what? We ain't got to agree. You ain't got to understand. But that doesn't mean that I can't have what I need and mm -hmm. you can't have what you need. That's There's a freedom in that not needing people to agree with you or understand you or want the same things you want. There's a freedom in being, like, not giving that much of a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, mm. well, think whatever you think. At the end right. of the day, I'm going to do what's best for us mm -hmm. because that's what love is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think well, for some people, you know, like I said, I think it goes back to how folks think about change and what, what, what utopia are, are you looking for? Because everybody, um, sometimes utopia is used as, like, a negative word and, um, um, shout outs to my friend uh, Yasmin Nair, um, who wrote a great manifesto about all of this. But sometimes utopia is thought of as a negative word. But as she says, right, everybody has ideology, right? Everybody, if you're concerned about the world being different in any way, right? So even folks who say make America great again, mm -hmm. they have an ideology. Yep. They have in their minds what a great America mm -hmm. looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all have that. And so we all need to be clear about what that is. Um, you know, and for me, the way I look at it, yeah, I ain't got to be best friends with you for me to have the the world that I'm looking for. Yep. And to be able to exist in a world where there's love, but everybody doesn't have to like each other all the time yes. <laughs> yeah. is, is a piece. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because we're not. Mm -hmm. The reality is sometimes we got to just, you know, um, give in to what is yeah we ain't gonna like each other all the time mm -mm. so ain't no need in fighting it <laughs> <laughs> just be with that yeah mm -hmm. that's okay people get really uncomfortable 
with like discord mm -hmm. and it's like a normal part of change of human functioning of being that you're not yeah. going to always be comfortable yeah. but man i know i work very hard to make myself comfortable sometimes and then i have to get back at myself like where is that coming from like why why do i am i striving yeah. for a snuggie right now <laughs> <laughs> and, and i think sometimes we don't like discord because in the way that it looks in the society now, right, mm -hmm. that can lead to people not being able to get mm -hmm. paid, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody don't like you, right, don't like who you are. So they're going to utilize their power um, to make sure that you don't have what you need. Yeah. But in the society that I envision, you can not like somebody all you want, but you don't get to be a barrier um, to them having food, to having shelter, right. to having uh, self-worth. You don't get to be that. And as a person who identifies as Christian, I struggle with this because my personal worldview is that what's for me is for me because mm -hmm. that's what God has already designed for me. Mm -hmm. So you cannot like me. You can think that your power is going to be able to inform what I can and cannot have. But sometimes God says yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and then it's like, well, you, you just didn't like me. Have right. a nice day. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. And I don't want to use that as a confrontation to the fact that people have very real lived experiences mm -hmm. of having stuff removed from them Absolutely. you know what i mean but my personal experience in life has been like look there have been times i didn't get what i wanted mm -hmm. but god has provided everything that i needed you yeah. know and so and i think there's power in that mm -hmm. right like i truly do believe in um the power that folks have to shift energy mm -hmm. right um and i think that mirrors what i believe you know and that what's for me is for me right like if i want to shift this energy you know i can mm -hmm. right um you know, and I think there's power in that. I think there's truth in that um, for a lot of folks. Um, you know, and that's not everybody's worldview, though. Nope. You know, and that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, because I'm not saying to you, oh, you know, you just need to shift your energy and then you change the pressure. <laughs> no, I'm saying that right. I love you, so I'm going to shift my energy mm -hmm. to affect mm -hmm. this oppression. And that energy is also active yeah. right it's not just what i think in my mind or uh, what i believe in my heart but it's what i do with my feet mm -hmm. so last question what do you love most about you hmm. what do i love most about me um i love um that I am very self-aware. I also hate that I'm very self-aware. So. Okay. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. What? Tell me more about the love and the hate. Um, <laughs> no, just tell me about the love. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, I was just talking to a friend about, you know, presenting, you know, because I educate people, and the ability to, to both, like, say words that make sense and be totally aware of like all the thoughts you're having, mm -hmm. all the things you're seeing, all the things you're navigating. Um, like sometimes when I think about that, it just it's like wow, like I can do that. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I recognize um, you know that, and the friend pointed out to me that everybody's not capable of doing no, that. You know, that's, that's not, not everybody's, everybody's gift. gift. <laughs> yeah, and so when I think about that. I'm just like, wow, like, that's a lot that I'm taking in, you know, all of the time, um, you know, but it, it enables me to, um, 
have a lot of deep reflection mm-hmm. about myself um, and to be humble, I think. I think you can't be a self-aware person and not be humble. Right, because you know what you're about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the good, bad, great, and ugly. Or if you aren't humble, you work very hard not to be. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. But a self-awareness, a certain level of self-awareness, I mean, just makes you be very real with yourself. Yeah. Even if you, you might not say it to other people, but right. you have to be real with yourself. So I, I love that about me. You love the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And there's parts of it that's like, Ugh. but yeah. at the core, that's what you love about you. Absolutely. Is there anything I haven't asked you or anything you think would be helpful to share with folks before we wrap up? You know, you know, I just think that um, I love y'all. I mean, people just don't get told enough that mm-hmm. they, they're loved. Um, and uh, I really do, regardless of what people's perspective is on it, like when I say that I really want to be able to die for people, I do. Yeah. I do. Like, I'm not there yet, right? I'm mm-hmm. still very selective about mm-hmm. the people I would die for. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to be uh, in a place where I don't I don't have fear around mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. because I think that level of fearlessness will enable me to do all kinds of extraordinary things. Mm. Yeah, um, that might mean that a lot less people have to die mm-hmm. in order for this world to be different. So I love y'all. That's what I got. Well, I appreciate you so much, Damari, for being here with me, for taking the time to be on How to Love a Human. It's been great. It's been great. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovehuman.com. For more episodes, find Dr. Candace Nicole on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you like the show, leave a five-star review. Thank you, and see you next week. How to Love a Human.